Well, I have two exciting announcements. The first one is, is that Jesus is coming again soon. Isn't that great news? <clears throat> the second announcement is, possibly sooner, college football begins in six weeks. Thank you, brother. I see that hand. Some women are grieving already as we announce this uh, information. Uh, first church plant that I did uh, in 1993 was uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And there was this little freshman skinny guy named Peyton Manning uh, who was there. And so I, I kind of adopted while they're church planting uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. Kind of became, I bleed orange, uh, especially in, in the fall. And so uh, in 2015, it ended up that I was going to be going to a conference in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, living in California at the time, and it was a uh, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors uh, conference. And so being the spiritual man that I am and needing to go to Jerusalem or Knoxville, uh, I decided that uh, we would tack on to this conference uh, a vacation. So uh, kicking and screaming, I dragged my wife along, uh, and we decided to go to a football game at home in Nayland Stadium, sixth largest stadium in the world, with 102,500 people the same size of Meridian. So how do we get there? I go online, figure out that there's a game uh, that's home, score, found two, one on either end of the conference. I could choose. Excellent. So picked one. Then I need to buy tickets because all the other uh, details are, are don't make any sense unless you got the tickets. Go online, search, found some great tickets, great price. I was out far enough, uh, got some great, great tickets. Next, had to line up our flight uh, to fly from L.A. Uh, ended up having to go because we fly southwest to Atlanta. Rent a car. From there, that would go to eventually to Louisville, but I had to go through uh, Knoxville. And what do you think happens to hotels on game weekends in Knoxville? They increase about 50%. So as I'm looking for uh, a place to stay, uh, lo and behold, it's outrageous prices. So I discovered Airbnb. Whew. Found a nice little house uh, in downtown Knoxville. Uh, almost could walk to the stadium uh, from where it was at. Perfect. So on game day, got the gear. We were all ready to go. We're looking good. We find the uh, satellite parking spot to go. We get on the shuttle, get to the stadium, sea of humanity. Uh, when it's game day in Knoxville, Tennessee, it's the fourth largest, fifth largest city in the state. That's how big uh, the stadium is. We go through the massive, just slowly moving up to the gate come game time. And all of a sudden, a thought hit me just before I got to the security guard. They've got these little scanner things, bloop, bloop, on your ticket, right? What if he said those fateful words after buying the ticket, planning the vacation, taking the days off, Buying the airplane tickets, getting the hotel, renting the car, buying the gas, enjoying the food. All of a sudden, I get there at the gate, and he said, Sorry, sir, 
your tickets are counterfeit. Whew, yeah, the air out of your balloon. Right there. It's sold out. No more tickets. Think about that. You're at the gate. And they say, sorry, sir. The tickets that you banked your marbles on are counterfeit. Let me assure you that didn't happen. Uh, we enjoyed the game, but I might as well have been told that because we lost. Uh, so went home in sackcloth and ashes and ended up on a shuttle bus going back that had all Arkansas Razorback fans. It was a long ride. Uh, and so, and lo and behold, uh, there was a, a traffic jam. So the three-mile trip was 45 minutes. Uh, and they were hooting and hollering, and it was painful. Uh, so, yes, uh, think about that. The disappointment, the money, the time. But that is really nothing in the scheme of life. Temporal, insignificant. But what if, as, as a person who believed that they were a Christian, they were come face-to-face with Christ and find out that their faith was counterfeit. And they were not allowed in to heaven. It's judgment day. There's no more time to fix it. It's sold out. It's too late. It's too late. This issue of counterfeit faith was very important to the New Testament writers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave this warning. He said that some in the church will say that they are wise, that they're sheep of God, that they're believers, but their fruit would, would reveal that they were actually false prophets, that they were actually wolves in sheep clothing, and that their fruit was not godly. Jesus taught that the hearts transformed by the Spirit will always exhibit His fruit in their speech and their behavior. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. He encouraged the Corinthian believers to examine their own hearts. He said, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Do you know that the Apostle John, in his first epistle, the whole purpose for the book was to list 25, depending on the uh, commentator, 25 to 30 evidences to know whether or not you're a Christian. That's the whole reason for writing the book. This is what he said at the end. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you. In other words, I've written this whole letter to you so that those who believe in the name of the Son of God will know that they have eternal life. That was the whole reason for the book. 
was that they would be confident that their faith was genuine and not a counterfeit. Today we're going to look at a similar self-test in the Bible. And it's one written by James. He's the half-brother of Christ. And uh, before we dive in on, on uh, one of the 13 tests that he gave in his book, just a little background about James uh, himself. Uh, this letter he wrote uh, 10 to 15 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And at this time, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So his half-brother is uh, ascended into heaven, and his brother, who initially didn't believe that he was the Messiah, is now actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And the reason that he wrote this book, the book of James, was he was challenging Jewish believers to examine their faith and make sure that they're in the faith. That's the whole purpose of the book of James, is to give them instruction and to challenge them to evaluate themselves. Are you in the faith? The audience that James was writing to were Jewish Christians who had been scattered into the Roman Empire, especially after the uh, uh, the diaspora, the, the kind of... Uh, uh, persecution that occurred there in uh, Jerusalem. And the interesting thing that you'll find out about the book of James is that he was profoundly influenced by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There are 21 allusions to that sermon that's in Matthew 5 through 7. He has 21 allusions in his short five chapters. Because he's writing to Jews who are familiar with the Old Testament, he refers 40 times to the Old Testament as to why they're to live the way they are today in the New Covenant period. Some theologians have even called uh, James the New Testament version of Proverbs because of its practical uh, statements on how to live wisely. So let's, let's take a look. If you've got your Bible there, you would open up to James chapter 3, verse 13. I'd like to read the passage that we're going to look at, uh, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago, we did part one of this. We did verses 13 and 14. And today we're going to look at verses 15 and 16. And in a future message, we'll look at verses uh, 17 and 18. Uh, but to get an idea of this whole passage, uh, we'll read we'll read it all together, starting in verse 13 of chapter 3. Let's read. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, 
without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. To understand this whole passage, we have to understand the question that James is asking here at the beginning. Who among you is wise and understanding? That's the most important question. Uh, if you wanted to say, uh, it would be equivalent to the question that Jesus would ask you at the pearly gates uh, when it comes time to determine your eternity. He would ask, are you wise and understanding? Honestly, that, that, the, the question is the same. As Thomas read earlier uh, today during the scripture reading, uh, this phrase, wise and understanding, is not new. That's why this is one of those examples where James is referring back to an Old Testament concept that his audience would be familiar with. This concept of wisdom and understanding was spoken of by Job, by Moses, and King Solomon in Proverbs. So if you were to combine those principles that Thomas read this morning and and a couple passages from uh, Proverbs, you would come up with this. And you may even want to write these down if you have your notes there. Uh, this is what wisdom and understanding means. And in the first message that I did, I, I uh, delineate that in detail. Uh, but I'll just give you a quick overview here. Uh, one, fear the Lord is wisdom. Fear the Lord is wisdom. See, what he's saying is when I fear and worship God alone... I, I worship him as my creator, my future judge. He's the source of truth. He's my savior. He's my Lord. Then and only then will I become wise. Only when God is God and his word is the most important thing in my life will I become wise. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Number two. Knowing and avoiding evil is understanding. Knowing and avoiding evil is understanding. That's uh, delineated there in Job 28.28. See, when I believe that Scripture alone is absolute truth, and I believe that it informs me about who God is and how God wants me to live, and then I can infer from that, and sometimes it's specific, what I'm not supposed to do. I have understanding if I know what evil is and I choose to avoid it. According to Job, that is understanding, is knowing what evil is and avoiding it. The third part is keeping and doing God's law. It's in Deuteronomy 4, 6. When I do, I keep and do God's law in faith, That was the reason why outsiders would call the Israelites a wise and understanding people. See, Moses said, uh, hopefully the nations around you will say, wow, look at them. They're wise and understanding. But Moses was very clear. Only do that when you know and keep the law in faith. Actually, at the end of Deuteronomy, the sad part is Moses says, by the way, guys, You're not going to do it. And you know what the nations are going to say? Wow. These people are not wise and they are not understanding. 
That's sobering. Moses tells them in advance exactly what they're going to do, even though he's told them the truth. So in essence, what James is going to say here in James chapter 3 is he's going to take the concept from Job, Moses, and Solomon, and he's going to ask his fellow Jews whether or not they're genuine believers. Because, see, genuine believers fear God, fear His Word, and then obey it. That's someone who's wise and understanding. And they know evil and avoid it. So that's what James is asking. Is who among you... And by the way, who's James writing to here? Who's he talking to? It says there in the first couple verses, he's talking to Jewish Christians who are in churches. So everything that I'm going to share this morning is what James is saying to people in church. But here's the sobering part. The reason James is saying a lot of what he is is because he knows that in the church there are those who are pretenders. They're pretenders. They publicly proclaim Christ secretly have rejected him. They're pretenders. And he's, out of love, he's calling them to evaluate their hearts and not wait until that day they get at the gate and Jesus says, oh, your faith is counterfeit. Sorry. Sorry. Essence, James is saying, who fears the Lord, who knows and avoids evil, and who keeps and obeys God's law out of faith. Because isn't that what he says? Look at your Bibles, James chapter 3, verse 13. How do you show that you're wise and understanding? He answers the question for his audience. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The next time uh, we look at this passage, we'll, we'll look at those who are wise and understanding and what the fruit should look like in their life. Today we're going to look at, notice what it says there in the next verse. It says, but. Okay? You can just put there in but, in parentheses, who is not wise and understanding. That's the implied question coming for the next uh, four verses there, or two, two verses. Who is not wise and understanding. And so we'll look in the future at who is wise and understanding. Today we want to look at who is not. And so uh, James knew that the greatest tragedy would be that if his readers got to judgment day and they say, Lord, 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 Jesus, Lord. And he says, be gone from me. I never knew you. Doers of lawlessness. See, he didn't want to hear Lord and see lawlessness. And as we know in that passage in in, uh, Matthew, what was it that they also said they did? They did a lot of church work. They were casting out demons, healing the sick. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Church stuff. But he says, no. No. 
So starting with verse 14, James begins to identify and describe those who pretend to be Christians. In other words, they're not wise in understanding and their faith is counterfeit. How, how do you know? How do you know who these people are? Well, James, that's the purpose of the letter is James is saying, what did Jesus say in Matthew? He said, you'll know them by their fruits. So he's saying, let's do some fruit inspection. Let, let's see what is there. And so he begins to look at the heart. Jesus was always concerned about the heart. James as well. Not the external activity. He's concerned about the internal secret heart that only you and the Lord know what's really going on there. That's what James is wanting to address here in this passage. So who is not wise and who is not understanding? It's the person in verse 14 who has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So just as review, uh, the first point was that pretender's heart is motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, real quick, I just we took time in the first message to, to unpack this, but what is bitter jealousy and what is selfish ambition? Bitter jealousy is a strong feeling of resentment, discontent, and jealousy towards someone who has something that they want. And then this results in an attitude. That's where the bitter part comes. It's an attitude. It's harsh, sharp, and destructive toward others. And it has, uh, this is actually the, the Greek commentators on this. For the person has no concern for the feelings of others. I want what I want. And if I hurt you, sorry you were in my way. Selfish ambition connotes the meaning there means a person's extreme focus on themselves. What do I want? I was hurt. I didn't get what I wanted. It was me. The desire to satisfy one's own desires at any cost. That's actually uh, in the meaning of this word. It's not that you just want something, but you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. which implies there'll be conflict, right? Because what you want, someone else may have. So James is saying here that pretenders that are within the church and their hearts are full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, he challenges them not to do two things. Look what the second half of verse 14 there. He says, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. What he's confronting the pretender is he's challenging them not to do two things. Not to boast in their self-sufficiency. And second of all, they're not to lie and deceive themselves and others. Most people, and, and the Bible talks a lot about it, you'll see it all throughout the New Testament where the writers will say, don't deceive yourself. Now, why would they say that? Because we deceive ourselves. 
We have a real tendency to deceive ourselves, and then we want to deceive others as well. We want them to believe the same deception that we, we hold. And so that's why he's saying, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. And the concept here in lie, if it's translated that way in your, your Bible, it actually means deception. That's what the connotation is here, is deception. A person is hiding their real motives. And he's saying, stop that. Stop pretending. So this morning, let's kind of review from uh, our last message. So this morning, we want to look at two questions that James wants to address regarding a pretender's heart that's full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. First of all, he's saying, just repent. Just stop. But he also wants to warn them that if you don't, what's going to be the fruit of your life? What's going to be the consequences that are going to be in your life if you continue along this path and you don't repent? That's what the next verse is all about. In other words, what type of wisdom do they believe? Because it's not God's wisdom. And what will be the ultimate fruit if they follow that wisdom that is not from God? Here's our first point for this morning. The counterfeit wisdom of the pretender comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil, not from God. Look at uh, verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Wow. I don't know about you, but that uh, James doesn't mince any words here. Counterfeit wisdom does not come from God. Why? As we see here of these three, the, the pretender does not seek God. They, they don't go to God. They would prefer the wisdom of worldly men, science, philosophy, uh, the latest polls. What's the latest happening thing on TV? What does Oprah think? This word earthly means belonging to the earth or wrought in men upon the earth. And Jesus would use this term uh, to uh, compare wisdom of the earth versus wisdom of heaven. Uh, and in other places, this term is used when it's comparing the type of morality that one has. Do you follow the morality of the earth? Or from God in heaven. So, what James is saying here is the pretender has chosen not to follow God. Whatever they're saying at college, my high school professor, my teachers, man, that's it. That's what really matters. See, the, the, the question here is, um, who do you follow? You won't need to turn there, but uh, Paul gave a similar charge to the Colossian church in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. It's exactly what Paul was saying, is what James is saying here in this passage. Worldly wisdom is simply, what can I touch, taste? What is the material world if you want to be a material girl, right? What can I taste, touch, feel? So if it's supernatural, unseen, it doesn't matter to me. You know, if you take a philosophy class in college, you know, that, that's actually, it's all uh, uh, existentialism. What can my senses see and touch? If I can't see it or touch it, doesn't exist that's really what what is being said here but Paul warned the church in Colossae verse 8 of chapter 2 he says see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ See, this is, a, this is not a, just an old problem. It's what we struggle with today. It's what our teenagers have to wrestle with, our college students have to wrestle with every single day. Because their professors come to class. I had professors, I mean, I don't know about you. I had professors who came to class first day. They come in, stand behind the pulpit and say, any Christians here? You know, a couple raise their hands. Okay, my objective in this course is to destroy your faith. I don't know about you. I've had that. That was their agenda. They were straight up. At least they were honest. But there was the philosophy of men that they were preaching to undermine the principles of Christ. Jesus warned his apostles that the nation of Israel's spiritual blindness was the result of their spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, because what were they doing? They were teaching their own beliefs rather than the Scriptures. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 15. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines... The precepts of men. The precepts of men. Thomas, uh, three weeks ago, as he uh, looked at Psalm 1, first two verses there that King David had this to say, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's exactly what James is saying here, is the pretender is someone who says, no, I want, I want what's in the earth, not what's from heaven. And, and King David, all the way back in the Old Testament, is saying, hey, guys, you've got to make a choice. Are you going to meditate on the word day and night, and you'll be like a tree firmly planted? Notice what David's doing. If you do this, you'll bear this fruit. You follow this wisdom, you'll get this fruit. You'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And even when there's no rain, you'll bear fruit. Nice. But the wicked are not so. But they're like chaff, which the wind blows away. 
Which one do you want to be? That's what James is saying here. The second one, so the first one was worldly. The second principle of uh, a pretender, the wisdom is it's natural. Or actually the connotation there is sensual as well. The word is a dishonorable term. It relates to the fallen bodily and sensual nature of man. And it's always contrasted with the spiritual nature of a believer. So natural versus spiritual. And uh, connoting the, the sensual. And isn't that, isn't that the way it is today? Well, if it feels good, what? Do it. You know, hey, if it's pleasurable, it must be right. I, I've counseled many teenagers. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. You know how many times I've heard that line? I, I've been on college campuses having those conversations. Well, uh, it, it, God made us that way, and, and it feels so good. Why? It's it's the natural wisdom of the world. Paul had this to say about this issue in the Church of Corinth in chapter 2. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Verse 14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Now here's one. It's kind of obscure, but it's very, very relevant. Jude. There's a book we turn to all the time. And Jude was talking about false prophets that were in the church. And this, and he was warning uh, believers. And this is what he said in verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, quote, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. The third characteristic of earthly wisdom is that it's demonic. And a pretender does not seek out counsel from God, His Word, or wise Christians but would prefer Satan's counsel. Now, I've done evangelism on the street. I've done evangelism on college campuses, high school campuses for years. Uh, Very rare have I had someone come up to me and say, well, you know, I'm just a Satanist. Now, it has increased, uh, the number of those who do say that. But most people would never say, well, because I reject Jesus, I'm a Satanist. But what is James saying is true if you believe in the wisdom of men? Where did man get his ideas from? Remember the Garden of Eden? God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So that was God's counsel, his wisdom given to man. Where did man come up with any other idea other than that? The serpent. See, where, where does man get these other ideas that compete against the knowledge and wisdom of God? It always comes from the enemy. But he's more than happy to have you or me espouse it for him. The word demonic means demon-like, devilish. It also means typical of the way a demon acts or the way in which demons behave. How does this play out? Uh, This is my personal experience. In the church, the pretender will bounce from friend to friend, counselor to counselor, pastor to pastor, church to church, until he finds one that supports and reinforces the desires of his sinful heart, which is contrary to the clear teaching of God's Word. See, I I don't want to hear truth. I got to go somewhere where I got to hear something else that I want to hear. But for some reason, I still want to be in the church. And my prayer is this morning is that we would repent. That's what James is writing here about is he's calling them to repent. This same problem uh, was true in Timothy's church in Ephesus. This is what Paul said to him in Second Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. Preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Sensual. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. I'll just share one example here. Again, uh, worked with the youth for many years, over 20 years in different roles as a teacher, high school teacher, uh, youth pastor, uh, pastor working with parents with youth. Uh, let me just share a most common experience that I had that would just break your heart. Is that wonderful young man, that precious young lady that was in your youth group, goes to college, comes back and tells you that because their Christian professor told them that evolution was true, they now don't believe the Bible is the word of God because it's undermined the veracity of it, its authority in their life. And so they've said, well, how can we believe the prohibitions on sexual behavior as well if I can't believe God is correct when it comes to science or history? So by the way, here's my girlfriend that I'm living with. Can I tell you how many times I've had that conversation? What, what, is, what is Paul saying here? They turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Well, what does evolution at the basis of it say? There is no God, no absolute morals, so you're free to be God. Now that goes back to Satan, right? You can be like God, knowing good and evil. You make the call. You make the call. 1 Timothy 4, Paul said this, 
But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So is James just using hyperbole here? Is he kind of going over the top when he says that earthly wisdom is demonic? No. It is demonic. That's where it came from. We just repeat it. Because as we're reading Ecclesiastes right now, what is Solomon saying? How much is new underneath the sun? Nothing. We're just simply repeating what's always been there. But where did it all come from in the beginning? The lies came from him. He's the father of lies. In Matthew 12... Jesus said something that is very sobering. And this is where I think James is coming from. Matthew 12, verse 30. He said that if any man or woman, any young man, any young woman rejects Jesus, that person has chosen to follow Satan. See that the tendency is, is, well, you know, I don't know what I think about Jesus, but oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not a Satanist. Unfortunately, that may be your opinion, but that's not God's. Look what Matthew twelve thirty says. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. So as James is appealing to those who are pretending in the church, they've chosen to follow the wisdom of man, the sensual desires, the counsel of the devil. He wants them to know that there'll be consequences. They're going to begin to reap certain things in their life. And that's, that's verse 16. That's our second point this morning. The ultimate fruit of counterfeit wisdom and the life of a pretender is disorder and every evil practice. Wow. That's sobering. Notice what Jesus said. Because remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, James is repeating a lot of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus, this is how he said it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, notice, they're outwardly sheepies, inwardly they're wolfies, okay? Sheepies, wolfies, okay? They're pretending. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad fruit, bad tree bears bad fruit. Now here's the verse that just is something you have to really consider. Look at verse 18. Every, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Cannot. See, it's not a, there's no in between. See, the way we like to do it in America is I'm somewhere in the gray. I'm somewhere in the gray. 
And the Bible is very clear. There's a black and a white. You have to make a choice. Every tree, verse 19, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So James is stating that even if a pretender is trying as hard as they can to camouflage, see, think of warfare and you do deception, right? Art is, warfare is deception. What you do is you have to camouflage, make things look the way that they're not. So James is saying here that even if a pretender in the church is doing everything they can to camouflage the real condition of their heart, they will eventually reveal the condition of their heart through the choice in friends that they spend time with. What do they want to read and what do they want to listen to? Who do they go to for critical advice as their counselors? What priorities, values, and convictions do they hold? How do they pursue and spend money? What choices do they make of li- about life's most important decisions? See, the fruit eventually is revealed. That's what Jesus said. Because worldly wisdom will consistently result in disorder and every evil thing. This is what Jesus said, Matthew fifteen seventeen. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart, remember, that's the part that's being camouflaged. That's the part that's trying to be hidden. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. So what are the two ways? What are the two types of consequences? that a person who's a pretender who has chosen to follow the worldly counsel of the world, because of that, their heart is all about selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. What's going to reap? Well, James tells us here, and the first one is disorder. This one's a, this is quite a word. For us, it's just disorder. But in the Greek, there's two different specific aspects that it means. One is instability, state of confusion, or disturbance. So just instability in this person's life. The second one is (laughs) to rise up in open defiance of authority with the presumed intention to overthrow it, to act in complete opposition to its demands. In other words, to rebel, revolt, and engage in insurrection. Sounds like Satan, doesn't it? See, Lucifer had selfish ambition, didn't he? Wasn't he a little jealous? I want to be like him who's the most high. I want my throne to be above all the nations. See, it was a jealousy. It was selfish ambition. 
that he went and got a third of all the demons to join him in his rebellion. See, when I want something, I have to go through other people to get it. There's a war. There's a war going on in the heavenlies. Why? Because of selfish ambition that started with bitter jealousy. Pride. So that's why you have insurrection as the result of rejecting God and His authority in your life. We, we can just easily read through this and say, oh, disorder, disorder. That's a huge word. And every evil thing. So let's look at the word disorder. It's actually used earlier in James. Look at uh, James 1. Flip over there. Verse 5. This relates so many times when you're you're speaking to someone who's going through a very anxious experience. Something's going on in their life. There's a lot of pressure. Uh, and, and they're really... They're really anxious. And they're like, God, please help me. But James has something to say here about those who ask for wisdom. So again, notice we're back to wisdom. And then people asking for it. But do they really want it? Look at verse 5, chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now get this, verse 7 and 8. For that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man. Unstable. Same word. Unstable. Double-minded. Instability. The word there that's translated double-minded means two-souled. I got two souls, and they're going. Have you ever seen that? Where people, they're trying to straddle the fence. It's like, ah, ah, ah. okay, I, I want to go both ways. You know, you got roller skates, and they start going like this. First time I went skiing, it was painful. I'm supposed to do this, but I did that. Okay. Uh, two directions. As we've seen over and over in Scripture, you can't go gray. I can't do both. I must choose one or the other. So when I have, in my heart, I've got, I want both. I want, for example, here's how it works. I want Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want eternal life. I want my conscience cleansed. But I want to call the shots. I still want to do what I like. And I know God will not let me do anything I desire. I want them both. So this person here is asking for wisdom. And James says, you're not going to get it. In fact, you're going to be unstable in everything in your life. And this is what I find when people come for counsel. They say they want God and his will, but they don't. 
What they want is God to take away and remove that issue in their life, but they don't want to submit to him in his will. They just want the circumstance and the consequences to go away. But they don't want God. They want the benefits of God without him. Does that make sense? That's how you get a two-souled man. And that's why when it talks in Scripture, it talks about being of one mind. See, God is all about unity. Satan, his name is diabolical, meaning division. He's all about that. That's what he's all about. This is what the author of the Greek dictionary says about this word, double-minded. Such a person suffers from divided loyalties. On the one hand, he wishes to maintain a religious confession and desires the presence of God in his life. On the other hand, he loves the ways of the world and prefers to live according to its mores and ethics. Here's what one commentator said about the double-minded man. Although he claims to be a believer, his actions reveal he's an unbeliever. When he goes through a severe trial, he turns to the human resources rather than singularly trusting the Lord for answers and for help. Or he becomes bitter and resentful and seeks no help at all. He does not renounce God, but he acts as if God doesn't care. Or he isn't capable of delivering him from trouble. He knows something of God's word and God's love, grace and providence, but he refuses to avail himself of those divine resources. That's a double-minded man. Jesus gave the answer as to why instability occurs in a person's soul. Why don't you flip over to Matthew 9 real quick, or Matthew 6, if you got your Bibles there. Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Go down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. How many can not serve two masters? No one. See, but when you try to be a double-minded man, you will be miserable. You are not made that way. You will just simply experience instability in your life. You cannot serve God and wealth. You will either be devoted to one or despise the other. You'll hate the one and love the other. There's no middle ground here. You can't say, well, I love them both. Jesus is telling you, no, that's not how it works. Don't deceive yourself. See, do I believe what Jesus just said is true? Or am I going to deceive myself and say, no, I've got a different way that works. I think it'll work. See, see, that's how you deceive yourself. Jesus just said what is true. 
Deception is when I say, no, I think I have a different truth. I believe it, and then now I try and convince my friends that that is true. Let me end with this. What James is trying to say here in verses 13 through 16 is this. If you regularly attend church, or even if you regularly attend church, when you secretly reject Jesus and you publicly pretend that you're a follower of Jesus, these things are true. This is what James is saying. These things are true. You've chosen to follow a counterfeit wisdom which is championed by fallen men, promises to gratify your flesh, and it's originated from Satan. This counterfeit wisdom will ultimately fill your heart with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. The result will be absolute instability, rebellion, and every kind of evil thing. What was the solution? It's in James 4, verse 8. This is the solution James provides. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, referring to the external behaviors and actions that we're doing in rebellion against God. And last of all, he says, purify your heart, you double-minded Let's pray. Lord, these these are hard words. Very sobering. No punches were pulled. Lord, you said that we're to examine our hearts and see whether or not we're in the faith. Lord, my prayer this morning is if there's anyone here who has secretly rejected Christ, is publicly pretending to be a believer, but they've chosen their enemy of God. Lord, James 4.4 says, He who's become a friend of the world has made himself an enemy of God. Oh, Lord. We don't want to be your enemy. Would you rescue us? Would you touch our hearts? Would you bring us to the point of humility? Repentance. That we would be willing to surrender to your wisdom. And that we would become wise and understanding. Lord, we can only do that through the power of your spirit and through the truth of your gospel. Lord, save us.